Please turn in your in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14, uh, the reading of the Word of God. This will be our the text of our sermon this evening. Exodus chapter 14. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pihiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon. Before it, shall, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this? What have we let? Why have that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariots and took his people with him. And he took six hundred choice chariots, chosen chariots, and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with an high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea. Besides Pihiroth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and beheld the Egyptians marching after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel, and they, that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get my, me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots, upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them and the pillar of of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came 
between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry, the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning, watch, the, look, the Lord looked unto the house, host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of of the cloud and troubled the hosts of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand over the sea that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its strength, his strength, when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Please, uh, Join me in a prayer of illumination. Dear Heavenly Father, as we read this great story of thy great works, we pray, Lord, that you would give us faith, that it would strengthen us, that it would encourage us, that this mighty act of redemption that in which you redeemed the people of Israel is also the same work in which you redeemed us. We pray, Lord, that we would forever praise thee for thy great works, that you would help us, that through your Holy Spirit be reminding us today and tonight of your great glory, of your great strength and your great power to redeem. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The writers of the Bible, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, often pauses to recall God's faithfulness and his mighty works. Even in our own culture, we have a day of thanksgiving, which is coming up soon, to commemorate when our Puritan forefathers praised God for saving them through the bitter New England winter of 1620 and 1621, where almost half of their colony perished from starvation and sickness. In my own personal readings, I came across Nehemiah chapter 9, 1 through 14, in which the prophet describes a time of fasting and and with sackcloth and earth upon them. 
the Holy Spirit had poured out upon them, causing a revival and a spiritual awakening. They were confessing their sin of pagan intermarriage. They had spent a fourth of a day reading the book of the law and a fourth confessing and worshiping the Lord. I found it interesting how the Levites urged the people to stand up and bless the Lord. They then proceeded to recall the great things God had done, such as choosing Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans, uh, making a covenant with Abraham, and they praised God for the Exodus, which we'll be studying tonight, their redemption out of the afflict and of their affliction in Egypt. There is the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, the giving of manna that they praised the Lord for, the rebellion. Uh, they recalled the rebellion of the golden calf and the wandering in the wilderness and the possession of the land, the promised land. You can find references to God's deliverance of Israel, the, the, what we read tonight, Exodus 14, um, in the, during the, uh, the, the deliverance of Israel during the Red Sea crossing, sprinkled throughout the Psalms and elsewhere, not just the Psalms. There's also a passage in Isaiah and also here in Nehemiah that we already read. Psalm 78, verses 12 and 13 says this, Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. Zoan is considered by some to be the ancient Tanis where the Exodus started. He divided the sea, that's in parentheses, that's not in the Bible, <laughs> that's my parentheses. Um, he, so anyways, in the field of Zoan, he divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters to stand as a heap. Uh, Psalms 136, verses 12 to 15, says this, With a strong hand and with a stretched out arm, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which divided the Red Sea into parts, for his mercy endureth forever, and made Israel to pass through the midst of it. For his mercy endureth forever, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. Psalms 106, verse 9 says, He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness, and he saved them from the hand of him that hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Psalm 66, verse 5 to 6 says this, Come and see the works of God. He is terrible in his doing toward the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. There did we rejoice in him. From this, I conclude that it is important for us to recall the mighty works of God. There are several benefits of doing this from time to time. This is one reason I, I chose this um, passage as our sermon text, uh, as a one-off sermon, because I think we need to remind ourselves of the greatness of our God from time to time. This aids us in our praise of his majesty and power. This also increases our faith in times of trouble. It increases our faith and the faith of our children in the existence of God and the truth of the scriptures when we recount these events. And it also helps to recall our own deliverance by God from the power and bondage of sin. 
there are several patterns or parallels between the Exodus and our own deliverance and our own redemption. Um, we have the gospel being preached to the Israelites through the Passover, in which the blood of the lamb is, is put on the, the doorposts. In the same way, we heard the gospel for the first time. Um, there's the deliverance from the bondage of Egypt and our deliverance from the bondage of sin. And then lastly, we are called to worship at, um, God. And Israel was called to worship God at the foot of the mountain, of God's uh, holy mountain, Mount Sinai. For these reasons, let us turn our attention to, the, to a firsthand eyewitness account by Moses of God's deliverance from the Egyptian army at the Red Sea. Um, it is of vital importance that we understand the location of this great event before we can appreciate the terror of the Hebrews and the magnitude of God's mighty power to save them. Our first clue is found in the Hebrew word translated Red Sea. The phrase Red Sea is not in the Hebrew, but is from the 3rd century B.C. Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. They translated the Hebrew word Yamsuf into the Greek Erythra Thalassa, which was a geographical translation, not a tr linguistic translation. While the Septuagint is an excellent translation of the Old Testament, they lack the knowledge of the remote regions of various seas around the Exodus uh, wilderness to make an accurate geographical translation. If we, look, if we take a look at the Hebrew word Yam Suf, we can deduce much about the location of the Red Sea crossing. The term Yam in Hebrew is only applied to seas and oceans, never to inland bodies of water such as lakes or rivers. The Hebrew suf, so the word yam means sea, and suf means end. Um, both the verbal form and the noun form of suf refers to the end of something. So if it's a verb, it would mean to come to an end. And if it's a noun, it would be the termination, a termination, an end, a conclusion. Sometimes it refers to a door or a threshold or a basin of a bowl. We are also told in Exodus 23, verse 31, that the Yom Suf is a southern boundary marker for the promised land. So from the meaning of the word, we know that Yom Suf is a sea at the end, a sea at the end, uh, which was a deep sea that along the southern border of Israel. We also know that Moses was leading the people back to the land of, ex, of his exile, Midian, to the mountain of God, as the Lord had commanded him. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, God tells Moses, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. Midian is east of Canaan since Abraham sent his son Midian east away from the promised land and away from Isaac and his descendants. Historically, Midian has always been recognized as being just east of the Gulf of Aqaba. 
And in fact, it's, it, that's the way it's pictured in the back of my Bible, in the, ba- in the Bible maps. And I think most of us will see that uh, in their Bible maps. Midian is in Saudi Arabia, the northeast, northwest corner of Saudi Arabia, just east of the Gulf of Aqaba. Um, <clears throat> while we are not certain the Gulf of Aqaba, which was geographically had disappeared from maps until the late 1800s, is a good match for the biblical Yam Suf. It is a deep sea on the southern boundary of the promised land of Exodus 23:31. With this geographical context, let us begin. Um, it, it could be, I mean, the other option is that it could be the uh, Gulf of the Suez. You know, if you look at the Red Sea, it terminates with like a little piece of kind of two gulfs. And one is the Gulf of Suez and the other is the Gulf of Aqaba. It could be the Gulf of Suez um, in which it would, they would cross over to the traditional um, uh, location of Mount Sinai, or it could be the Gulf of Aqaba. Um, uh, so uh, anyways, those seem to be uh, – there's other theories that are like with rivers and stuff, but that doesn't seem to match with the, the whole meaning of Yam Suf. Um, so uh, – but that's interesting, but that, that's not the takeaway that I want you to understand tonight that the most important thing that you need to understand is that it was a deep sea crossing um, from from the word Yamsuf. Two verses before Exodus 14, we are told in verses chapter 13, verse 21 to 22, that and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and and night. This is chapter 13, verse 21 to 22, just right before uh, chapter 14. And he took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night, but from before the people. So how did they travel? Well, they were in haste. Here God was leading them out of Egypt very quickly. Um, They would have to stop to rest. However, the pillar gave them light even to travel by night. Um, And remember, they were they had taken the Passover with with uh, bread that was uh, without yeast, Um, not in in a sense to to underscore the urgency that they had uh, to depart from Egypt. Also notice that the Lord himself was leading the way, not Moses. God was directing every step they took away from Egypt. This supernatural cloud by day and pillar of fire by night is what they call a theophany, an appearance or a divine manifestation of his presence. God wanted them to know that he was now their covenant-keeping God and that he was beginning to dwell among them. That's the theme of the covenant. I will be your people, you will be my God, and I will dwell among you. Um, so then something completely odd happens that, you know, they're, they're on their way to the mountain of God in Midian. Okay. It's kind of reversed in your direction, but anyway, um, they're on their way to Midian and they're rounding the Gulf of Aqaba to get into Midian. Right. But instead of going around the Gulf of Aqaba, what does God do? He, he changes their direction. And here's what it says. And the Lord, uh, God diverts them away from the normal path to Midian to the mountain of God. His path in doing his plan in doing this, he tells Moses, is to use Israel as bait 
to lead Pharaoh and his army to their full and complete destruction. In this way, God lays a trap. And and this is uh, of chapter 14, verse 1 says, And the Lord spoke, spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pihah, I'm going to butcher this, Pihaheroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon, before it shall ye camp, encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land and the wilderness and are shut in and hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall be follow the, after them and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. So God, in this pillar of cloud, leads them down a bit by the sea. Okay. Um, the normal plan would have been to round the north tip of the Gulf of Aqaba um, and proceed the mountain of God, but Mount, uh, Mount Sinai location in the land of Midian. But instead, God leads them down uh, the coast of the sea where they're entangled in the land, uh, shut in by the wilderness. Have you ever wondered what it means to be entangled in the land? I, I always read that and I was like, what does that mean? What does that entangling mean? In, in, this, in his book, The Lost Sea of the Exodus, Glenn A. Fritz identifies five requirements for the Yom Suf crossing. It has to be near a large body of water, large enough to require a miraculous circumstances. It needs to have opposing beachheads linked to a passable inland route. So both sides have to be able to support this inland route. A near beachhead size capable of housing one to two million people plus flocks and herds. Now, where does he get the one to two million people? Well, we're told later on in Exodus that there, what came out of Israel were 600,000 fighting men. Okay. Now, if we were to assume that would be an equal number, probably more women than men, why do I say that? Well, Moses grew up, what, what all, all the babies around the time of Moses were what? They were being thrown into the Nile and, and destroyed or butchered. So there probably were more women than, than men, then what does God tell us? The, the people of Israel were very fruitful, so they'd have a lot of kids with them. So you have 600,000, you double that, you've got a million two hundred thousand, and if you add a bunch of children onto that, you know, uh, just kind of um, uh, being a modest estimate, you would say about two million people are coming down to the sea. So the seashore has to support a lot of people. So that's why he says that. Um, have you ever, uh, I know some of you have gone to FSU games. Um, that, that, that stadium holds 35,000 people. So if you take 2 million divided by, I'm sorry, 85,000, 85,000, not 35,000, 85,000 people in the stadium at FSU. If you divide 20, 2 million by 85,000, you have 23 and a half FSU stadiums full of people on the shore. If that gives you kind of a picture of how vast and how amazing of a collection of people that this is. So typographic, the typography at the near beachhead in which the Hebrews 
uh, w- could be entrapped. So you have to have typography in which two million, two million people are stuck and can't, can't flee. And then the seafloor path with a suitable slope gradients and lack of major obs- obstructions for one to two million people to pass plus their herds and flocks. So guess what? Such a passage and beachhead exists along the eastern shore of the Gulf of, of Aqaba. In fact, all the mountains along the eastern shore go straight into the Gulf, but there's this one, what they call a wadi, which is a dried up river uh, valley, steep, steep canyon that leads into a broad beachhead that fans out, and then there's plenty of room for two million people. It's interesting. Um, uh, it cuts through the mountains on the eastern, in the middle of the eastern shore at the edge of the Gulf in one, in one place. Um, the Wadi is called the Wadi Watur. Any people traveling down this steep valley would then be utterly trapped um, and, and on the beach. At any rate, God leads them as a bait down into a beachhead where they're utterly trapped. That's the main point. Then Moses tells us that Pharaoh takes the bait. In verse 5, it says, and it, told, and it was told the king of Egypt and the people, that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have you done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with an high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea besides Pihahiroth before Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh mustered all his forces. He laid all his chips on the table. What does he have to lose? He must have reasoned. After all, they were helplessly trapped. What fools these Hebrews are to walk into a dead end, he must have thought. He had the upper hand, and he did. But for one thing, the Lord was against him. The recent memory of the plagues were dulled by God's hardening of their hearts and senses. Pharaoh and his arrival on the beachhead caused panic. We read in verse 10, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is, this, is not this the word would that we tell, did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Place yourselves in the shoes of the typical Hebrew family. It would have been an, enough to strike terror in a grown man, let alone women and children. A horde of Egyptian chariots are coming down the dried up river delta headed directly toward you, but there is nowhere to flee. Now, don't get me wrong. It is not wrong for us to cry out to the Lord. Nehemiah 9 verse 9 says, even even says God heard us their cry by the Red Sea. If they had just stopped there, their cries for mercy would have been 
pure from sin. However, their distress changed to anger and resentment and even a desire that God had left them alone. This odd diversion had put them all at risk of the very danger that they were now in. It was as if Moses and God had no plan at all. They had so soon forgotten the wonders of Egypt. Psalms 106 verse 7 says this, tells us that their, their resentment provoked God to anger. Quote, Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Brothers and sisters, let not our cries for mercy become anger and resentment toward God. Provoke not the Lord, but remember who you speak to. He is our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who sent the ten plagues upon Egypt and parted the mighty waters of the Amsuf. May we always remember that, quote, the righteous cry and the Lord, uh, the righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of their troubles, Psalms 34, 17. This does not mean that we will never experience trouble. On the contrary, Sometimes God leads us into trouble so that he may be glorified in our deliverance. He delivered them, and and God does just that. He delivers them out of all their troubles. Permit me to skip down to verse 19 where we read, And the angel of God, which went down before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went before from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them. And it gave light by night to to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. Can you imagine watching this pillar of a cloud large enough to fill the entire dried riverbed passing over you to divide the two camps of 1.2 or 1 to 2 million people protected by a massive pillar. All that night it was dark on one side, but light on the other. Even Then an even more amazing miracle happened. Verse 21 says, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to, be go, to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. If God had just parted the waters, which he did, there would, would have been miles of impassable seafloor muck. So the Lord dries up the seafloor with a strong wind, carefully preparing a wide passage for one to two million people plus flocks and herds to pass. If we are to assume a deep sea crossing on the scale of the Gulf of Aqaba, the walls of water on the north and south sides at at their deepest point would have been about 800 meters or 2,600 feet tall, which is about the same as the highest skyscraper in the world today, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. All that night, they would have hiked through the Red Sea in the darkness. If they passed through the Gulf of Aqaba, they would have had to cover 18 kilometers, which can be done in about three and a half hours with a walking pace. 
the Lord is not content to let the Hebrews escape. He also demonstrates his power to them and to Egypt by utterly destroying their enemies. This is his purpose um, to them and to us. So we read in verse 23, And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watched the Lord looked onto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand over the sea that the waters may come against again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared and the Egyptians fled against it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of Pharaoh and came into that came into the sea after them were remained. There remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters were a wall unto them on the right hand and on the left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. Did Pharaoh participate in the charge? Well, we're told in Psalms 136, verse 15, God tells us that God overthrew Pharaoh and his hosts in the Red Sea. So Pharaoh was among them. And here we and here we read, and all the hosts of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, there remained not so much as one of them. Have you ever been up close to the power of water? Uh, Catherine and I used to live near the Sailorville Lake in central Iowa. Sailorville Lake and Dam um, was constructed by the Army Corps of Engineers. Um, in times of large rains, they would open up the dam outlet about the width of a pickup truck. It's this really large circular outlet. This fed the entire Des Moines River. So all of the Des Moines River would go through this little out, this, this big tube. Um, so when it was wide open, it would shoot about 50 yards or so, spilling out the water Uh, The volume of, and I looked this up in the Des Moines Register recently, um, the volume of an Olympic-sized pool every two and a half seconds would flow through that pipe. Um, It it, it was full. It was not like half full. It was full to the top. You could see maybe barely a little gap at the very top. Um, So um, when you were next to it and you, you had to shout to hear each other, uh, when you're up right next to the railing uh, watching this, and the ground shook beneath you as because of the force of the water. Can you imagine the power of the Yom Suf coming together to destroy the enemies of God? Isaiah 51 verse 15 says this, But I am the Lord thy God that divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Egyptians were like ants crushed in a moment. What was the response of the Hebrews? 
And, it, and uh, verse 31 says what they, how they responded. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. What is the response of mere mortals when we see the awesome, mighty power of God? We fear the Lord. The Hebrews learned that, uh, learned that day who they serve. They learn that God is to be feared above the Egyptian army. They learn God is the God of this universe, is on their side. They learn that God is in control of this universe and can defy the laws of nature at will, just like Jesus calming the storm. And may we learn these things too by repeating this story to our children often, by proclaiming the mighty works of God, Psalms 145, verse 3, says this, of 3 through 6. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty, and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the mighty uh, might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. The very next chapter starts with, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. Let us do the same and stand as we sing our closing hymn. Hymn number 421. No, no, not 420. 76. I'm sorry. 76.